Well, good morning, church. It's good to be with you this morning. I love uh, reading different prayers. Some of them are, are deep and theological and uh, contemplative. You know, you, you, you sit and you wonder in awe of God after reading some prayers. And, and some prayers, some prayers are just fun. Some prayers are like listening to my five-year-old pray. We get together at night, we bow our heads, we pray, and as a preacher, sometimes I'm thinking I want to impress upon my children the awe of God and who He is, and my five-year-old just wants to thank God that he got an extra candy for the day, right? I came across this prayer the other day, I read it recently, I think it bears repeating, Dear Lord, so far today I'm doing all right. I've not gossiped, lost my temper, been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or self-indulgent. I've not whined, complained, cursed, or eaten any chocolate. I've charged nothing on my credit card, but I'll be getting out of bed pretty soon. And I think I'm really going to need your help then. And I wonder if, if you can identify just a little bit with that sort of prayer. Uh, prayer, it's, it's one of these realities that you and I have the opportunity to stand before the creator of the universe and, and bear our hearts communicating to him. And, and in, this, in this thing that we call prayer, we have an opportunity to grow and enlarge our faith and, quite frankly, grow and enlarge the kingdom of God. I have a friend that I went to school with many years ago, and I think he wisely said on one occasion, he said, when we pray, we have an opportunity to fight on battlefields that our feet may never see. Uh, Jesus, when he was talking about prayer, uh, he, he's talking to a group of people, and maybe in particular his disciples, and he tells them to ask. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Because the message seems to be... Uh, Ask, because if it's good for you, if it's of God's will, if it's His desire, if your heart matches His and how you're praying, then, then God, this gracious, loving, wonderful God, desires to bless you and wants to answer the prayers that you are praying. Love where you live. When you love where you live, you're going to pray where you are. Uh, loving where you live is just us saying, I'm going to pray for my neighbors and my friends and the people that I live around. I'm going to pray for those colleagues of mine, and I'm even going to pray for the people I don't like. Because I recognize something about this wonderful power that prayer has for us. 
Last week, we, we gathered together, and, and I said, as we were leaving, I said, hey, would you be a blessing? Would you bless? And I gave you an acronym, N-B-L-E-S-S. And I said, hey, would you listen? Would you eat with someone? Would you serve someone? Would you tell someone their story? But it really all began with B, which was begin to pray. And this morning, what I hope that you will see is that we have collectively as Christians an opportunity to come before the Lord and love where we live by praying. We're in this series, Love Where You Live, and and really the goal, the purpose of this entire series is that as a church, uh, we would gather around our community That we would say, I'm going to figure out ways in which I can communicate where God is in my community. I'm going to find my neighbors and friends and colleagues, and I'm going to go into the communities where I exist, where I live, and I'm going to make a difference in the name of Jesus. And this morning, uh, we're gathering all of that up, and we're saying, hey, let's begin some of that with prayer, in particular, prayer for my community, that I would pray where I live. And we're going to have that conversation. We're going to look about this idea of prayer through the lens of one apostle. His name is Paul. You see, uh, Paul... An apostle, this special messenger to the Lord, he's in this church. It's, it's a church that's in its infancy. It's not very old yet. And there's some inside the church that have begun to say that the people inside the church really need to obey this list of rules and regulations in order to be saved. And Paul comes in and he writes a letter to them and he begins to say, look, 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 look. Your Christian behavior is not just simply a checkbox, check, check, you know what I'm trying to say, right? You know those little things. That salvation isn't a new ballot that we fill out every day and we present before the Lord saying, Lord, can't you see that I'm good enough now? But there were people in the church saying, hey, uh, you need to obey all the, the list of things. And he comes in and he says, now now wait a minute, Uh, salvation isn't a maze, it's not complicated rhetoric, it's not a rubric, it's not a matrix that we have to try and make our way through, it's not a parts manual that we have to try and read all the fine print. He's going to come around and he's going to say, really what you need to know is this is really about Jesus. And what you need is Jesus. That he is sovereign, that he is sufficient, that he is capable for whatever it is that you need. And he's going to tell that to this particular church because they've lost their way a little bit. And he's going to say, yeah, 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 I know. There, There needs to be Christian behavior. There has to be some instruction. But what you need to know is that our behavior... What we do as Christians is on the basis of the fact that we have already died with Christ and raised with Him. In fact, he's going to say in this letter, since you have been raised with Christ, because you have been raised with Christ. And it's the basis of our having died with Christ 
to our old self in sin and been raised with him to live a new life, it's that basis on which he says, now, let me give you some instruction on the results of what your life is going to look like because of this sovereign, sufficient, and capable Jesus. And it's in the process of doing that that he tells us about prayer. And he's going to tell us about prayer, that our lives ought to be devoted to prayer, that it ought to be constant. And he's going to tell us that with this prayer, we ought to actually be looking not just for ourselves, but we ought to be looking for others as well, maybe even those in our community, that we ought to love where we live by praying. So will you join me in Colossians? We're going to be in Colossians chapter 4 today. Colossians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to get into the Bible. Open up uh, to those pew Bibles in front of you. Page 823. Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. He writes, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may, that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Prayer. It ought to be a part of our life that we devote ourselves to. Now this first verb in verse 2, devote yourselves, uh, devote really is this kind of marathon term. It's that term that just simply says, hey, when you pray, it ought to be consistent. It ought to be constant. It ought to take one step after another step after another step after another step. I mean, it's the kind of a term uh, that says you persevere. You keep going. You don't stop. Uh, when you start praying, you keep on praying, and, and you don't stop praying until I tell you to. Devote yourselves to prayer. When you love where you live, you'll devote yourself in prayer. You'll continue to do it constantly, never ending, eternally until Jesus returns. That's how often you're going to go about praying. Now, I bet if we all had an opportunity to come up and share our story about Jesus, uh, some of us would say beyond a shadow of a doubt that you were prayed into the kingdom. That there was someone in your life that was constantly praying. That their knees were so sore by the time that you walked into a church building and you recognized that it's not a list of rules but really is about Jesus and you turned your life over to him, that you would say that someone was standing behind the curtain praying for you day and night because they loved you enough to say, I'm going to devote myself in prayer for you, for them. For them. 
Did you ever have someone like that? Someone that said, I'm just going to continue to pray. Day and night, every single day, continually, I'm going to pray that the Lord would invite you into his house. I have a good friend. His name is Chuck Sackett. I've known Chuck a really long time. He's a little older than I am, but uh, he, I would say that we are friends. Occasionally, we, we exchange emails, and I enjoy listening to him preach from time to time. And there's a story that he's very fond of telling, and I'm going to tell you the story that he often tells because it's so compelling about this issue of devoting ourselves to prayer. You see, Chuck grew up in Idaho, and he was the son of a bar owner. He didn't know anything about the church. He didn't know anything about Jesus. He didn't really care about Jesus or the church or God or Christians. The only people that he knew were non-Christians, and and he kind of liked it that way. Now, somehow, God used the Boy Scouts uh, to to begin to just allow someone else an opportunity to pray for Chuck. Uh, You see, Chuck, when he was just a a little guy, uh, he was in the Boy Scouts, and there's a God and Country Award. Well, Chuck didn't care anything about church, but he really loved awards. And so he said, I'm going to go get that award. And there was a church not too far down the street from his house. And he thought, well, I'll go there. I'll get my God and Country Award. They'll pin it on me, and, and, and I'll have it. He said, so that's what I did. I went down. I did all the check boxes. I went through all the things. I attended the number of services. And he said, I was probably the most heathenistic, pagan God and country award winner that you have ever seen. But God used that because there was a a couple, an older couple in their church that saw him and said, we're going to begin to pray for him. And so they began to say, I want that boy to come mow my lawn for me. Now Chuck didn't know it, but they were praying for him. And for 12 years, he found out later, 12 years, every day, day after day, night after night, their knees were hitting the floor on Chuck's behalf. And they were praying that God would do something in Chuck that someone could introduce him to Jesus. And wouldn't you know it, 12 years go by... And Chuck walks in with a pair of really short shorts. He doesn't have any shoes on. He's got no shirt on. But the the path had already been paved for him to come to know Jesus. And that church embraced him. And today he's a preacher. Why? Because there was a couple that looked at someone else in their community and said, I'm going to pray for that man. I'm going to pray for not who he is. I'm going to pray for who he might become if Jesus is able to get a hold of him. So my question to you this morning, as we seek to love where we live by beginning in prayer, is who is it that you have devoted yourself to praying for? 
Have you begun to ask God, uh, who is it in my life that's in my sphere of influence that God would have me praying for? Who is it that you say, I will pray for them every day? I will make a note. I will put it in my journal. I will make sure that it hangs on my mirror. I'm going to pray for this person every single day, and I don't care if it takes 12 years or 20 years or 40 years, but I'm going to begin to pray for them that God would intervene. Because, church, we are a church that believes that God didn't just wind this whole thing up and let it go. He didn't die on the cross 2,000 years ago and then just simply say, oh, no more, now it's all up to you. No, God is still intervening today in our lives. And we have an opportunity to encounter the God of the universe when we say, I'll devote myself to pray. So who are you praying for? Is there a a young uh, man or woman on your street that is just a hoodlum? Is their language so colorful that they could strip the paint off your car in the parking lot? Are they a bully? Have they misused control and power and they have control and power issues and you want to introduce them to the one who has full power and full control? then perhaps that's the person you need to pray for. Is there a neighbor that you don't like very much because they have loud music and loud parties and there's beer cans laying out in the yard and, and, and maybe other things laying out in the yard and you, you just it just irritates you. And maybe once in a while they'll take their big truck and, and when it's nice and soft like this because they enjoy going through the mud, they'll tear it through your yard. And it irritates you to no end, and perhaps, perhaps God is just giving you an invitation to say, hmm, I wonder who I could pray for today. And some of you, some of you are old enough that you have adult children. And perhaps they have gone far from Jesus, and you love them so much. And you're here today, and there's part of your heart that's dying because you recognize that they're not in a community uh, where they're being loved and fostered in the growth in their faith. And you are like, man, I need to devote myself again to praying for my child so that they will come to know Jesus. Devote yourself to prayer. If we're going to love where we live, then we need to be people who pray for others. Now, that's not the only thing that Paul says here. That's not the only uh, instruction that he gives. We're supposed to devote ourselves to prayer. But then he, he takes it another step and he gives us some substance. He gives us some content to the kind of prayer that we're supposed to pray. Look at verse 3, would you? He says, and pray for us too. There's a group. Pray for us too that, that God may open a door for our message. So that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in change. Pray for us for an open door that we might proclaim the mystery of Christ. If you devoted yourself to prayer, perhaps the next step that you need to take is praying that God in His sovereign way and the power that only God has would be opening up doors that you don't have access to yet. Maybe it is for that person on your block 
Maybe it's that coworker. Maybe it's a child. And you have to believe that God, through prayer, will allow you access and open doors, that he will push open windows that you can't even see. Now, now I want to warn you that if you are willing to, in faith, take this step to pray this way, that you don't get control over the kinds of opportunities and doors that God is going to open for you. Can I, can I just show you the text one more time? Do you notice where Paul is when he writes this? He says at the very end of verse 3, Open doors for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Where's Paul when he writes Colossians? Prison. Prison. He's in jail. He's behind the iron bars. He has people watching over him day and night. If you're going to be willing to pray the prayer, God, open up doors of opportunity, you're not going to be able to say to God, well, I didn't really want that opportunity. It's weird, it's kind of crazy, but Paul, although he's in prison, sees prison as the opportunity and the door that God has given him to share the gospel. Uh, we know that if you were to flip over a few pages in your Bible to Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 through 14, Paul makes it plain that, that as he was in prison, the praetorian guard, he made sure that all of the praetorian guard knew who Jesus was. He's like, well, hey, I'm in prison. I guess this is my opportunity. And so as he was visited regularly by the guards, he said, hey, I'm going to take this opportunity because God has given it to me so that you will know about Jesus. If you're going to pray for open doors for the gospel, then you better be prepared. Have you ever been in a prison? It's kind of crazy. Now, I've been in prison before. Not because I did anything wrong. In central Illinois, where we used to pastor, there was a maximum security prison that opened up just outside of town. And they had asked the ministerial to come uh, and do a tour of the facility because they wanted to be able to do chapel in their facility. So we had to go in and feel comfortable in this new prison. I'm telling you, it's scary. There's like doors and doors inside of doors and doors inside of doors and they lock them behind you and it's not exactly the sort of opportunity that I would look for and go, praise you, Lord. But it was the kind of opportunity that, that Paul looked at and said, I'm going to make sure that wherever I am, as I pray for open doors for the gospel, that Christ would be spoken, that he would be announced, that he would be preached. The question isn't original with me, I'm stealing it. But I love the question, to whom has the Lord chained you? Where has he chained you right now? Some of you are thinking, I have a job that I hate. And you don't hate it because of the, the content of the job. I mean, it's a job. You don't mind it. But you don't like it because of the people that are there. 
You don't like it because there's people, their mouths are awful, they're constantly looking at explicit material on their phones, and they're constantly calling in uh, because they're hungover from the night before. And you're like, ugh. And the temptation for you is to, to pray to the Lord. Instead, Lord, open up an opportunity for me. Uh, your temptation is, Lord, would you deliver me from these bad people? And perhaps, perhaps it is that the Lord has chained you there. Perhaps your prison right now is that you are there and God has you there for a reason. That there are people that don't know Jesus. That there are people who are far from God. And you've said, you know what, I... I want to help people find and follow Jesus too. I want to love where I live. And right now, where I live is with these people. And I'm going to begin to pray a different kind of prayer that the Lord would open up an opportunity for me to talk to them about Jesus. To whom are you chained right now? Is it the, is it the young adult who has has found themselves out of college and into a career. And they don't need Jesus right now. Their life is comfortable. I mean, they're not a terrible person, but um, they're far from God. They see Sunday as just the last day of the weekend rather than a day of worship or praise. They need that day to sleep in or sleep it off. And perhaps God has changed you to them for a reason. And you have an opportunity to begin to pray. Pray for an opportunity that the Lord would give you so that you could tell them the story of Jesus. Devote yourself to prayer. When we love where we live, we will pray that God would open up opportunities for His message to be spoken. Now, Paul felt this urgency in his soul. Uh, When we look at verse 4, he's going to talk about this necessity. It's going to be translated really in this word should, uh, but it's a divine imperative. It's this word day. It just says that Paul felt this urgency on his soul that he had to do this. That he needs to do it, and he needs to do it with clarity. And when the opportunity comes, he needs to bolt through the door and not be afraid. He needs to be courageous and bold so that other people could hear more about Jesus. Uh, The fact of the matter is, all of us in this room, most likely to those whom we need to be praying for, that the Lord would just intervene in their life that they might come to know who Jesus is, we're probably all of us a little bit afraid. Well, what are they going to think of me? Well, what are they going to say of me? What are they going to say to others if I really am bold enough to begin to share this story of Jesus? Now, what he's going to say in verse 4 is, hey, hey, would you, would you just pray that I would do as I know the Lord would have me do in that moment when the door is open? Look at verse 4 with me, would you? He says, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. I have a sister that I've told you about many times. 
And of her own admission, she's not a Christian. If I were to ask her, Jenny, are you a Christian? She would say no. And so if there's someone in my life that I want to continue to pray for, it would be, or one of the people, it would be her. I need to continue to pray. Now, now here's, the, here's the thing. If you're going to be open to praying consistently, if you're going to be open to praying, uh, the substance of, Lord, open up a door, open up a window, that your message might be proclaimed, then you have to be ready when the door is open. That when there's a crack in the window and that door opens a little bit, that you would be willing to stick your foot in and talk about Jesus. And I'm not here to tell you that it's, uh, that it's easy or that it's unscary, but uh, it seems like what Jesus says throughout the Gospels is, hey, would you acknowledge me and I will acknowledge you before my Father who is in heaven. Stick your foot in that door and bravely and boldly say, I, I, I have an opportunity and I'm going to take it. This is about Jesus. I don't know if I'll ever get to have that conversation with my sister. I don't know. I haven't yet had the opportunity. But I'll tell you this. I better be ready when the opportunity comes. And if it doesn't come for me, then what I am praying for is that whoever God has established in her life that does have the opportunity, that they would not shrink back and they would not be afraid and they would burst through that door and they would be willing to say, let me tell you about this Jesus who is sovereign, sufficient, and capable for you. Because that's what this really is all about. It's really about praying so that people who are far from God would come to find and follow Jesus. And church, we have an opportunity to love where we live by praying. And by praying, perhaps our communities begin to change and we, we create Christ-like communities one neighbor at a time, quite literally just by simply allowing our knees to hit the floor. So church, what will it look like when we begin to pray? What will it look like when we begin to pray for our neighbors and our friends and maybe those we don't like and maybe those we do? What will it look like when God begins to take his hand and shape different people in different ways? What will it look like when you and I, uh, emboldened because we've prayed, uh, what will it look like when you and I have the courage to walk through the doors that God has given to us? It will change our communities, it will change your families, it will, it will change our church. So can I encourage you? Can I, can I get on my knees really and pray with you and pray for you that you would pray? And that God would open up doors for you and that you would walk through them. Let's pray. Gracious God, I thank you for your goodness. And Lord, I, I pray, I pray from the very bottom of my heart that all of us in the room, that we would have someone, and if we don't, Lord, that you would lead them to us, that we would devote ourselves continually, constantly to pray, that we wouldn't stop, 
that the opportunities you open for us, we will walk through and speak boldly and plainly because you've set it within our soul to do so, Lord, that, that you would speak. And Lord, I pray that this wouldn't be about us. I pray, Father, that it becomes about you, that we have an opportunity to tell other people about your son, Jesus. Would you make those opportunities so apparent that even people like us could not miss when the door is opened? Lord, embolden us, challenge us, help us to be courageous, and Lord, help us to pray. Lord, help us to love where we live by praying where we are. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.